Hi, and welcome to the Win Woman podcast, brought to you by journalists and best mates, Charlie Gans Eglinton, that's me, and Frankie Graddon. That's her. Franks, how are you? Hello, I'm fine, thank you. You look like Elliot out of E.T. <laughs> when he's on the bicycle. Maybe you look like E.T. actually. Is it E.T. wearing the hoodie? Yeah, this I'm doing my best E.T. impression. So I'm down in Devon. I have seconded to the spare bedroom, but I've noticed as we started recording, it's a bit echoey. So I've had to shove a blanket over my head. And you've got a cashmere hoodie up. <laughs> yes. I'm going to be very hot by the end of this podcast recording, I imagine. Also, the blanket keeps falling a bit over the camera. <laughs> so there's quite a lot of activity and I feel like I'm kind of watching the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, Charlie's Which is giving much... me motion sickness. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Charlie's pretty much just having a conversation with a bit of grey blanket. Or it could be like being in the womb, but like a grey womb. Who knows? How are you, my dear? I'm all right. Yeah, it's bloody grey and miserable in, in London town, but it looks like it is in Devon as well. It is absolutely gross. In fact, we pretty much brought the bad weather with us because we arrived late Sunday night. Um, Monday was OK, actually, not too bad, but it's been pretty gross and I'm thrilled because all I packed were summer dresses. So that's going to be fun. <laughs> Oh no. I know. It's fine. I got my first pair of maternity jeans last week. So thankfully I've got those with me. So I've just been wearing those on repeat. Marvellous. I'm just going to pour a glass of... I've gone red again because it's cold and I'm having a period. Comforting. You need it. More on which later. I'm not even joking. So I'm drinking a Calcareous Vini di Pietro Bianchi. It's Puglian. It's a Nero Detroit grape and it's from 2018. Look at that beauty. It's quite a light looking red. Don't know oh, if you can see it. that through the look yeah, at that. Yeah, yeah, I can Hold see that it. up to the window for you, Frank. Is that the same brand as the orange wine that everyone's been waxing lyrical over this summer? It is. It is. That delicious orange wine that I was drinking on the podcast a few weeks ago. Lovely. I have a little confession to make. What's your confession? I had a shandy. Did you? Yeah. Love a shandy in the summer. Well, I know. I have had no alcohol whatsoever. Then we went to the pub on Monday after work. So it's the local pub in the village that my parents live in. And it's got a really big outside terrace, which was completely empty. So we sat there by the water and I just thought, I just can't stomach another elderflower cordial. So I had half a shandy and it was heavenly. Was it? Oh, I've forgotten how nice they were. Well, cheers to your shandy. Thanks. Pink punk. Here we go. How is Devon feeling? So you've been to the pub. Have you been out for dinner? Have you been into any shops? No, not yet. It's been very quiet, which has been lovely. I mean, I've been working all week, so we haven't had a lot of time to explore. But... The village is nice. It's there's doesn't look like there's many holidaymakers at all, but the locals are out and about. The local tennis court is really busy, which is lovely. Some building works going on, um, some sheep around. So it definitely feels like there's lots of life. Do you think the sheep have only come out because lockdown measures have eased? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Were they were they quite distant? Do you think? Or? <laughs> no, they were flouting that one meter rule. I tell you, wow. shocking. But it's beautiful. The journey was nowhere near as stressful as what I thought it was going to be. Right, yeah, tell me about the train. I was so nervous. So we got an Uber from home to Paddington in our masks, Uber driver in his mask, 
all the windows wide open, very blowy ride. <laughs> it was blustery. And driving through London, I mean, we just went through Islington and down the Euston Road, which is not the prettiest part of London, but having not seen London for what feels like forever, I felt like I was on one of those duck tour buses, you know, <laughs> just seeing the sights. And I was just staring out the window being like, oh, my God, it's the British Museum. <laughs> it's the Renaissance Hotel. It was <laughs> thrilling. I felt like telling him, go the long way round. I just want to see this great city that we live in. Isn't duck tour the one that it turns into a boat, though? Did you? <laughs> we didn't hit water. I assume you didn't nip into the Thames. No, sadly. <laughs> so that was actually great. That was quite a lot of fun. Got to Paddington. I have never seen it so quiet. Granted, it was Sunday evening, but I say, oh, I mean, 80 people at the most in the whole station. It was deserted. Then we got on the train, two people in our carriage. It was a delight for it to be so empty. I managed to not have a wee. Very impressed with myself. What, the whole time? Whole time. How long's the train? Three and a half. Oh my God, and you're pregnant. Yeah, I know. I was really impressed with myself. That's amazing. I think I just worried myself out of it. Just slapped it back up. Because also, I had lovely message from a midwife who follows me on Instagram who told me that actually squatting when you're pregs is a terrible idea because when you squat, you don't empty your bladder fully. And when you're pregnant, you're really susceptible to getting UTIs. Right. I mean, it is stingy wee central when you're pregnant, honestly. So she was like, don't squat, sit. But I just thought, I can't sit on a public lavatory seat. It's not great during a pandemic, is it? Because what about wild weeing as well? I'm assuming you're not sitting down there. <laughs> that would be messy, wouldn't it? Gross. Maybe you could find a log to sit on. Just to hang off the edge. Anyway, yeah. Ben went to the loo and reported back that it was pristine clean. He said he was the first person to have used it since it'd been cleaned. So he was very happy. And then we saw my parents and it was the great reunion. It was gorgeous. That's the longest I've worn a mask for. But after all of those hours, got a bit much. And I found my skin very dry after wearing my mask. It must be so difficult for people that actually have to wear PPE for work. Christ alive. Obviously, all those medical professionals and doctors and nurses having to wear them constantly. But... Actually, you walk into any shop now and they all have to wear masks all day. Yeah. So it's just becoming the norm, isn't it? And we can take them on and off. But it must be really difficult if you have to wear it all day for work. Yeah, it must It must be really, really uncomfortable. But I was delighted to see that everyone on the train was adhering to the rule. It all felt very clean and sanitary. Did you sneak any snacks up under your mask? Didn't have any snacks. Not a snack? Not wow. one train snack. I don't think I've been on a train and not had a snack. You would need a food that could fit under the mask quite easily, like a cheese straw might work quite well. That would be perfect. Because you could just poke that up. Yeah, or a strawberry licorice lace. That would be great, yeah. I don't like the licorice ones, but I, I like the, just the, the fizzy strawberry ones. Right, yeah. So that's been my great excitement. And have you swum in the sea? Not yet. What? You've been out there? It's Wednesday. No, it's Thursday. It's Thursday. Oh my, oh my good God. I know, I know. We've been really slacking on the adventure front. But we're hoping on Saturday we can get out on the paddleboard. I'm not going to stand up. I'm just going to sit and navigate and Ben's going to paddle me. But I've told Ben to keep his pants on because I don't want an Orlando Bloom moment, especially with all the, all the paps that have followed me here. Also, might be a bit weird with your parents, to be honest. <laughs> 
god. So I'm assuming then you've also not eaten a lobster in a shack. Oh, not yet. Frankie, I am stuck here in London. I need to live vicariously. You've not been in the sea, which I would have done day one. I would have just walked right in. And you've not eaten a lobster in a shack. Are you even in Devon? I'm not fulfilling the Devon dream. Although I am going to go to Tesco's and buy... No. This is a question. No. No, you don't know what I'm going to say. I know you're in Tesco. And I know that's not the Devon dream either. (laughs) No, I don't. But this is a question for anyone who's been pregnant and is listening. So the waters are pretty chilly. Tesco's are selling wetsuits. I want one. Can I fit into one? That's my question. Do I just get a really big size and see if that works? Because obviously wetsuits are quite compression-y, so I don't want to compression the bump. Like putting spanks on a baby. (laughs) Doesn't feel right, does it? Or maybe I just have to cut out a ring around the stomach area. That would look good. (laughs) You could always get a rash vest because then then you've got your chest covered and your arms covered. And obviously you'll still get cold legs, but... Personally, my legs don't get as cold when I'm swimming. It's it's my chest that gets a bit of a fright. All right, I'll look for some rash vests. Franks, what's the uh, what's the old dress code down there in Devon? Because one of my high points of the week, news wise, was Jess Glynn's sexy fish tracksuit yeah. debacle. <laughs> Poor Jess Glynn has been her word discriminated against because she tried to wear a tracksuit hood up to sexy fish which is a snazzy pretentious restaurant in mayfair people are saying this is a discrimination because it's not they've just got a dress code which you can find on the website she says that people were very rude to her don't wear a tracksuit to sexy fish if you're going to sexy fish it's because you want to show everyone that you've got money you're not just having a low-key meal out, you know? You're not like, I just want no. to catch up with my family. I just need to grab a bite and go. You want to eat some lobster off a gold ingot, dipped in caviar, potentially in a six-inch heel, and then you want to take a picture with the Jeroboam of whatever you're drinking. That's what you go to Sexy Fish for, I would imagine. I mean, the clue's in the name. The, the clue's in the name, isn't it? It's sexy. It's sexy. Don't Don't rock up in your scruffy loungewear Jess Glynn I know you're famous but even so would you wear (laughs) this cashmere tracksuit to the pub or are people dressing up there's a very specific dress code around these parts and it takes inspiration from the yachting culture okay so you've got to think deck shoes shorts no matter the weather and then it's all about that I mean it's not really a fleece It's not the fleecy material, but it's that silhouette of it's a pullover with a stand-up collar and a zippy bit at the front. Right. And sunglasses. So it's a bit Jeff Bezos. A a little, (laughs) yes. Although I'm yet to see any Villibroquins on the beach. Billy Bees. Actually wrote about Billy Bees for a piece this week. And I hooted as I read it. You are funny, Charlie. Oh, thanks, (laughs) I didn't know they shrank. I didn't know that was a design flaw. No, they don't shrink. It was a joke because oh. men gain weight and then 
It was a joke about people gaining weight and then being like, God, these are a bit small, aren't they? I must have shrunk in the wash. Dad, now, I thought you'd been looking at the consumer feedback on the Vilibroquin website <laughs> and had established that they shrank in the wash. I thought, gosh, she's oh, done her research. No. I was just generalising men. Because I feel like women always put on a bikini and go, oh, I've gained weight. Again, massively generalising. But that's what I do. It's what my friends do. You go on a holiday and you're like, I'm awful. Look, you can see all these bits. And I feel like men go on a holiday and they just don't think about it. They're just like, I'll just tuck that under my tum-tum. Yeah. Or not. (laughs) Or not. (laughs) Just let it out. Well, exactly. But the short has to go under the stomach. Right. You know? Because... Which is very much the situation I'm in at the moment with swimwear. Do you know who could help you with your wetsuit question? Men with beer bellies. But maybe there's a niche in wetsuits for those of the more rotund tum variety. Look into that. Right. What have you been up to? Well. Tell me. I decided to christen my new sofa with a visit from a dog. I had to cover it in so many blankets. I was terrified. But she was very good. The dog, not the sofa. So I might be dog sitting in August. This was a test drive. This um, is very exciting. To see how we got on to see if she was all right in my flat, which is just a one bed flat and she's used to a house. To see if she was all right on my balcony and didn't show any urge to leap off it and chase a squirrel, etc. It went very well. She didn't claw up anything. She was a charming house guest, in fact. And I discovered the unusual world of dog walking obviously in the afternoon in the evening kind of normal lots of people are out 7 a.m on a very wet wednesday morning only dog walkers are out in clissold park there's a lot of style tribes happening there were some barbers with like a tweed flat cap nice so that was a mood then there was the cagoule brigade they look like they might have cycled in. People with keep cups, good. Yes, I approve. People with disposable cups, I do not approve. And they were sort of dividing into dog walking tribes. I mean, obviously then your dog might want to befriend the dog of someone in a different tribe. So that's tricky. Is that allowed or is that frowned upon? Well, I guess so. But there's also, you have to, you have to negotiate the fact that your dog will chase after somebody else's ball and then won't let it go from their mouth. And then you have to do this big ball swap at the end and everyone's shouting, oh, I've got your one and throwing them together, which isn't great if you're really naturally antisocial like I am and just don't want to talk to these people slash any people because it's 7am on a Wednesday and I've not even put my eyebrows on. It was illuminating for sure. So tell us about the dog. She's called Ellie, as I understand. She's called Ellie. What is she? She's a spaniel mix. Lovely. She's one and a half. She has a lot of energy. Okay. She was great. We had a great time. She pulls on the lead quite a lot, but apparently I need to be stricter with her. Apparently she senses in me a lack of strictness. Uh, She's like horses. They smell fear and they go for it. In fact, I've had a bit of a responsibility week. I went over to water your garden. Thank you. Because obviously it had been really dry. And then as soon as I left, it rained for about three or four hours. So it was completely unnecessary. But I enjoyed it all the same. How's it looking? How's the squash arch? It's looking great. The squash is fantastic. Looks very leafy and happy. But the most exciting thing about my week, which... Well, actually, second most exciting because Ellie the dog was the most exciting. But this says a lot about how low the bar is at the moment is um, I'm having a period, as I mentioned. 
and I have decided to try for the first time a menstrual cup. Moon cup. So this is by the brand Be You, as in be yourself. And I say that in American accent because I am assuming, oh my God, no, it's manufactured in Birmingham, which shocks me to my very core. This wasn't a gift or anything, by the way. I just, I bought this online when I was buying some SPF. It's 100% medical grade silicon. The reason I thought it was American is because it comes with this poster, which I have kept for this occasion. And it says on the poster, look at this. Anything you can do, I can do bleeding. Yeah. And on the back of it, it's got all the helpful stuff about how to insert it and wash it, etc. It's nice diagrams of squatting. It comes with a little pouch, which is fun. But it's got quotes on the front. It's got illustrations of women dancing about. Then it's got some quotes. Here is one from Judy Garland. Oh. Always be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of somebody else. Oh, okay. So they're like positive affirmations. Yeah. Obviously, it's not Judy's review of the BU menstrual cup because she was not around for the conception of these. Fair enough. And also, I'm not sure that that's what she would have said about a menstrual cup. I think she was just talking about herself. There's a quote from Oprah. Think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is another stepping stone to greatness. I mean, these are great, but I'm just having a period. Do you know what I mean? And is the idea that are you meant to frame the poster and pop it up so that you can you can see it? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. There is there is a hashtag on this as well. Yeah. Hashtag be united. Should I want to hashtag about this? I mean, it is great because the idea for me of not spending tons of money on tampons every month, of not then throwing away tampons and creating extra waste is a great one. How's it going? Because I've been curious, but I've always felt a little bit nervous about it's the emptying out bit that I... The emptying out bit is fine. Over. Okay. It's it's actually fine. I have visions of pouring it down myself. Well, you're on the loo or over the loo. So if you spilt it, it would go down the loo. But actually they're, they're getting it down. It stays kind of upright because you pinch it in at the bottom to like release the vacuum. Ooh, <laughs> lovely. Um, but so that's fine I mean I've, I've had a little bit of spillage but I always do with tampons anyway when I'm at my heaviest point in my period is this too much information no keep going but actually I think it's really good and I was speaking to a friend about it and she said that she wore one to a wedding while she was wearing a pale coloured dress and had no problems wow I think it's easily just as good as tampons it's much better than tampons actually because you can keep it in for they recommend that you change it every eight okay and when you say change it are you taking it out rinsing it popping it back in yeah fine so if you were doing this in a public place it would obviously be more difficult and you might want to have two so that you could alternate but the reason i haven't done this before is that normally i do work in an office the cubicles don't have sinks in them the sinks are all in the communal space once you've come out of your cubicle so it wouldn't work for me even if i had a second one a clean one to pop in i'd then have to bring out this bloodied cup 
and wash it out in the sink, which is not lovely in a communal space. I know it's natural, but it's somebody's blood. I wouldn't want to do that. I already moan enough about the fact that when you're changing your tampon in one of those bathrooms, you then have to come outside before you can wash your hands, which I just don't think is very hygienic. Obviously, you're trying not to come out with stuff all over your hands, but periods are messy. So it would be much harder if I was having to use public bathrooms. Obviously, I'm at home all the time, which is why it seemed like a good idea to try this out now. Mm. If anything, I might just still use tampons occasionally if I'm going to be in and out of public bathrooms for work, if I'm going out for dinner, if I might be drinking heavily. Mm, I can imagine emptying a moon cup when a bit pissed might be tricky. Although it becomes kind of second nature. I'm definitely a convert, you know, despite the poster, I'm a convert. Despite the... I found I was more confident when I stopped trying to be someone else's definition of beautiful and started being my own, quote from Remington Miller. I mean, these are all positive things to think, but just let me bleed in the cup, okay? <laughs> is it comfortable to wear? It's really comfy, yeah. And what what colour is it? I don't know why I'm interested, I just am. Mine's purple. Ooh. It's kind of see-through-y purple. Can you pick your colour? No, they come in different sizes. And is that for flow or for vagina size? For vagina size. How do you know what size your vagina is, though? Well, it tells you. So this one only comes in medium or large. No small vaginas here. So medium is if you are under 25 and have not had children or have had children via cesarean. Right. Oh, that means I'm going to be a large. Well, yeah, but I'm a large because I'm over 25. You're already over 25, Poppet. Am I? I'm sorry to break that to you. Devastating. So... If you're over 25, it's just a large. Okay. I didn't realise your vagina grew post 25. But yeah, if you've had a vaginal birth and you're under 25, you would also need a large. Okay. But there's nothing wrong with that. No, embrace it. You know, there is nothing wrong with that. So I so I just got the size that it told me to get and it's been very comfortable. So I'm a big fan because I was slightly worried my body would just like suck it up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because it doesn't have a long string like a tampon. It has a little plastic point to grip it by but obviously that's not as long as a string and I've never actually lost a tampon up there but you do hear stories don't you and I know people that have well I had a terrifying week a few years ago I'd come (laughs) home completely sloshed and was wearing a tampon woke up in the morning put another tampon in but then just couldn't remember whether I'd taken out the previous night's tampon or not because I was too drunk and then spent the whole week absolutely terrified that the original tampon was still up there I never got to the bottom of it. It might still be in there. Well, you don't have toxic shock. No, I don't. And I did some delving, but there's only so much you can delve. But also, how many times have you gone to pull the string and the string's popped off? Never. What? I feel like that happens to me every other time I use one. Where are you buying your tampons? (laughs) (laughs) I buy the organic cotton ones. I've never lost a string. I also don't hold with those applicators because A, it's just some extra plastic, but also... Just use your finger. Don't you find them a bit scratchy? Scratch, definitely scratchy. Yeah. Don't make it of hard plastic. I mean, that seems silly. It's much more like going to the doctors if you use the applicator, because it kind of feels like, you know, when they're doing the smear and they put the speculum in or whatever it's called. Ooh, yep, yep, And you you feel that plastic. Yeah. Okay. Well, as soon as I get my periods back again, I'm going to buy a moon cup. Because as I have been curious, but I've been nervous... So thank you for trying it I was just being lazy and that's terrible because it is so much better for the environment. But also I'm not paying the tampon tax, so that's good. Charles, I want to tell you about a piece I read at the weekend. So it was in Sunday Time Star magazine and it's by Victoria Moss and it was called Gen Exit. It was really interesting. I felt like it really tapped into 
a mindset and a mood that a lot of our generation are feeling at the moment. So she was talking about how she's been a hardcore city lover. She lives in London, has lived in London for a really long time. And when lockdown happened, she escaped to her parents' house in the country, thinking that she would absolutely hate it. Here she was in her 30s, back at her parents' house without the bright city lights of London. And she talks about how actually she has loved it. It has been such a step change and a real culture shock, but something that she's really embraced. And she's spoken to lots of other women of her age who have had similar experiences and uh, have agreed that they've really enjoyed it. And she makes a really interesting point that whilst lockdown's been happening, cities have not been what we love cities for because everything's been closed. The exciting bits of cities, the restaurants, the theatres, the museums, all those exciting cultural things that we just adore haven't been there. So it's sort of removed the FOMO aspect of not living in these areas because they've just been really, really quiet. And obviously this is going to start up again. We've already seen all of these things start to open. Although, have you heard about all the pubs that have had to now close again? Yeah. Because, oh, I mean, anyway. So obviously this is going to start up again and, and there is going to be a little bit of a shift back to how things were. But what I'm wondering is whether, because people have had this moment to maybe experience life outside a city, or even if you live in the city, like we have throughout all of lockdown, to not have the razzle-dazzle of city life and just be living in a very crowded, expensive area whether it's going to make people reconsider how they live their lives and maybe where they live their lives. You are so tied to the city because of the excitement of life in the city, but also your jobs. And if this work from home culture sticks, even to a degree, whether that will then almost release people from having to live in a city. And if people are going to start thinking, do you know what, if it is just two days a week in the office and I can just do stuff remotely maybe then the suburbs are going to be a possibility or further afield if you're only commuting once a week into the city could a two-hour commute work think of all of the areas that that opens up we know the city is so expensive to live in so are people going to start thinking could I actually get a foot on the property ladder if I moved outside of London are people who don't have outside space has this time made people realise that gardens are really important or having an extra room to work in as an office is really important? Is this going to shift everything? What Vic talks about is this surviving, not thriving thing. Yeah. That people have just been carrying on and making it work. And I think when you're on that hamster wheel of paying really high rent or a really high mortgage when you are working really long hours, you just carry on and you don't ever stop and think, am I happy? Is this right for me? And I think for a lot of people, what lockdown has done is give them that time to actually reflect, to look at their lives, to look at what they are prioritising without even thinking that they're prioritising it. 
and wonder if that is right for them. I think people who were in that privileged position to be able to get out of London, to be able to go to the countryside and, and try out these different lives that perhaps their parents live, have especially had time to reflect because they haven't been in their smaller London houses or their smaller city houses and flats. They've gotten time to actually see what day-to-day life is like living outside of a city. Mm. Because normally when you're there, you're visiting for Christmas or holidays and you're in holiday mode. But you kind of think this wouldn't work for my work life. But now that's changing and everyone is working on video calls. So many officers are talking about staying closed or, as you say, only opening up one or two days a week. You might be rotating with colleagues who goes into the office on which day. So you might not be going in full time or you might now be able to work from home. If you are in a job like ours, are people going to be going back to the office? It could be 2021 for a lot of industries before people even think about going back to the office. And by that point, will companies even want to be paying exorbitant rents for city buildings if they don't need to have their staff in them? I think it is just that that reassessment because I think a lot of people were really just using their homes as somewhere to sleep and had not even used their kitchens properly before. You know, the amount of friends that we have even that just pop something in the microwave or might use the toaster and the kettle, but were not cooking in their kitchens. So lockdown started and people found themselves completely unprepared for this time at home. And and I can understand how then that makes you wonder if, if London is so worth it. Well, then if any city's worth it, in the piece Vic talks to one of her friends who lives in New York, and obviously New York apartments are just renowned for being the size of a shoebox. And it's fine because it is such a crash pad because, I mean, especially in New York, there's this eat-out culture far more than in in London or any other UK city. Well, and that bloomin' Carrie Bradshaw, like, stores sweaters in in the oven. Exactly. Nonsense. But that was the woman who ate Vogue. I mean, I know she's fictional. It's just unsafe, Carrie. In the piece, Vic says that her New York friend is now looking for a bolt hold in Devon to escape to. But I think it is interesting that it just makes you... And I'm not saying everyone's going to suddenly flee the city. But I think it just, as you say, it gives you that time off the hamster wheel to think if things could be different. I do think there's a reassessment of what makes a great area and I think it must be strange right now if you lived in the city if you lived I used to live around Old Street and I found it really peculiar that at the weekend it completely shut down because it was so so little of it was residential so Mm. at the weekend some shops didn't even open because they were really catering to office workers who were there Monday to Friday so areas like that even Soho when all the restaurants and bars and everything is closed, there's nothing. Whereas where we live, there's a lot of green space, there's the canal. It is very villagey. So it is funny because we do live in London and we do pay a premium to live in London. But actually what the pandemic has done for me personally has put anywhere that's over, say, an hour's walk away just doesn't exist to me at the moment. Soho might as well be Manchester in terms of commuting because I don't want to get on a train. I mean, obviously, if I needed to, I could. And you found a way to get to Paddington to get onto a train. 
But really, I'm just living within an hour's walk distance of my flat, which is creating this village. And that's the great thing about London, though, surely, is that there are loads of villages within this huge town that actually have their own communities. And you can get that community feel in London. It doesn't have to feel impersonal. The people in our local coffee shop know us. Yeah, no, and we're very lucky where we are. But actually, the community thing, I think, is really interesting because cities do tend to lack that community spirit more than smaller areas. But I do think this pandemic has made people much more reliant and much more keen to integrate themselves into these smaller communities. So, you know, so in a way, yes, you maybe can build these slightly smaller villagey feels in a city and maybe that will help fulfill a lot of needs and desires that we're sort of now craving on the other side of this pandemic. But I also can see the appeal. I can see the appeal of moving to Devon right now more than I have ever thought because I've always, you know, I I grew up near the sea and I, I love the sea and I've always thought, oh, it would be so wonderful to be able to walk by the ocean every day, but mm. I could never leave London. And I do feel that a bit less now. Maybe you can look at some properties while you're in Devon, Franks. <laughs> maybe i can (laughs) right have you got any recommendations for me this week i sure do the first is a listen so esquire has done a summer fiction series and they are short stories basically They're, they're releasing them all this week so only one of them had come out yesterday which was olivia coleman reading andrea hagan's where i'll find you it's a 15 minute Listen, the reason this appealed to me is that I love short stories anyway, and they're a great way to find out about writers that you might not have read before. But also, getting great actors to read these stories is a win. You can find them on Esquire. Now I'm looking forward to James Nesbitt reading Will Self and Eddie Izzard reading Alex Barnes. Fun. And I've got two reads this week, which both came out of reading the latest New York magazine, which I read on the Readly app, which I've recommended before, where you can find loads of magazines for one subscription price that actually my sister pays. So (laughs) thanks, Joe. (laughs) So I was reading New York and Michaela Cole is on the cover. Yes, I was going to recommend this too. What a brilliant interview. Michaela Cole has spoken to E. Alex Jung. It's such an amazing interview. She speaks about trying to retain control over her work. She speaks about her personal experiences that were behind the narrative in I May Destroy You, which is a fictionalised version of her own sexual assault. She speaks about the racism that she encountered at Guildhall School of Music and Drama. She speaks about even the racism that she encountered on her own set of her own projects of chewing gum, of turning up to filming and finding that five black actors had been asked to share one trailer and that one white actor had been given her own. She's 32, which is incredible if you look at her body of work, but so interesting to read all about that journey from open mic nights to now being such a powerful figure in TV. I mean, this is the TV issue of of New York Magazine. So to put her on the cover, that just shows in TV right now, she's the biggest name. And she has managed to to get that control. Actually, Netflix wanted to create I May Destroy You, but they didn't want her to retain any of the rights to it. 
So they offered her a million dollars, I think it was. Yeah, a million dollars. Um, not pounds, dollars. And she was having this conversation with them, but having to try and fight them to retain any degree of control of rights over over this story um, once it was produced and, and they wouldn't offer her that. So in the end, she did it with the BBC and then um, during production, I think it was, HBO came on board as well. So she's written, directed, she's the star of it. She's doing it all. I mean, I just thought it was an amazing piece and it's a real long read, Franks. What did you think of it? I thought it was brilliant. I didn't know much about her before I May Destroy You. I haven't watched Chewing Gum. So I knew her name, but I, I, I didn't know much about her at all. I had no idea that I May Destroy You is based on her own experiences. I was staggered that she wrote 191 drafts of that script. That made me feel physically unwell. Dedication. (laughs) What dedication. And I think it's, it's quite astounding how she describes the writing process. It's such an emotional process for her. She says she cries through it. She feels sick through it. It's like climbing a mountain and then coming back down the other side with this project which actually I really appreciate because I think often you you read writers and you listen to interviews with writers and you kind of feel like they've just popped out this masterpiece without <laughs> blinking an eye. Yes. <laughs> and then you think, hang on a minute, why is it sometimes I find writing, you know, quite um, draining? And and for her to be so honest about that, you know, I May Destroy You is so emotional and it and it tackles such huge topics so no wonder it took so many drafts to get it right but yeah I mean pure dedication what I loved was the little anecdote she talked about when she went to Michigan so she goes on these retreats to write which sounded fabulous imagine being able to hole up in a cottage to write your story I know, heavenly. So she says she goes to these places that feel really unfamiliar and that aids her writing process much more. So when she was coming to the end of writing I May Destroy You, she went to Michigan and she stayed in this super remote cottage on the land of this husband and wife who had had the larger house. And she was trying to figure out how I May Destroy You would end. And then she talks about there being this huge storm one night and she's in this cabin and she is just bricking it is the door going to blow off is the roof going to cave in and she calls the lady who lives in the bigger house and the lady comforts her you know it's going to be fine it's going to be fine and then the next day she's so sort of jangled by a stressful night that she goes and sits with the couple and they watch tv and she talks about having this really amazing touching moment where her and this other woman who sounds like she's older, she's a different generation, completely different walk of life. You know, she's in the deep depths of Michigan and they just have this amazing bonding moment and they both are really teary about it. And it makes her realise what then has to happen to the end of this script and how she's going to wrap it all up. And it just sounded absolutely amazing. It sounded really quite momentous. And it's always really interesting to just have an insight into how the 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 mind of someone who is so fantastic a writer works. I loved how long it was and that it covered really the whole breadth of her experience from, well, before drama school to where she is now, such a powerhouse. My second read is from that same issue and it is the same writer, E. Alex Jung, busy guy, who also wrote a fantastic interview with Tandy Newton. So Tandy's 47 now. She 
speaks so incredibly openly about the industry, about colorism in the industry. She has a black mother and a white father and she talks about not putting pictures of her dad up on Instagram because she wants black people to feel that they can trust her, that she's not a representative of the establishment that degrades people of color. She talks about fake tanning for roles when she wasn't considered dark enough or trying to look lighter for roles where she was considered too dark. She talks about finding out that when Oprah was on the cover of Vogue, apparently there were 20 meetings to decide whether she should be on the cover. Wow. And apparently Anna Winter suggested that Oprah lose a little bit of weight before she was on it after all that. She talks about uh, her sexual abuse. She was groomed by a director that she worked with when she was 16. And the media's representation of that was called a passionate affair in the media, which is disgusting. I mean, it's just such an open interview and she's not afraid to name people that she she's worked with. She's not afraid to talk specifically about Charlie's Angels and she turned down the role that Lucy Liu then went on to play because they said they were going to open with a picture and it looks like it's the tarmac of a road with yellow stripes down the side of the road but then you zoom out and actually it's her ass she's just wearing such skin tight jeans that it looks like tarmac and the yellow stitching of the jeans looks like I mean the, the, the sexism in the industry casting couches it's such a brilliant interview what made me laugh on Twitter, the writer Fiona Sturgis tweeted, she called a, a work rant off the back of the Michaela Cole interview because it was revealed that Michaela Cole spoke to her interviewer for 14 hours. Wow. 14 hours. And the point that Fiona is making is that when you do celebrity interviews, and you and I have experienced this, you get sometimes 10 minutes over the phone, 20 minutes over yep. the phone. You have to push for more than that. And then you're supposed to get this amazing interview out. Not taking away from the writer of this piece because it's an amazing piece. So not to say that we could all do that with 14 hours because we certainly couldn't, but to be given that level of access, I didn't know it was still happening in the industry. I didn't know that people were given that. God, it means it's amazing. And Michaela Cole's been tweeting about the piece, so she's obviously delighted with it as well. What really made me laugh was in response to Fiona's um, tweet, a writer called Jeremy Fassler wrote, as the person who spent two weeks transcribing all 14 hours of the Michaela Cole interviews in Vulture, <laughs> I agree with everything Fiona Sturgis says here. And kudos to E. Alex Jung for being such an incredible interviewer. Two weeks transcribing 14 hours. <gasps> well, I've stolen one of your recommendations then. So we great minds you think have. alike. Have you got another one? Indeed, I do. I've got a really jolly one. It's a podcast series and it is from the fabulous Jonathan Van Ness of Queer Eye fame. J'adore him. And his podcast series is called Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness. Each episode is about an hour long and he has a conversation with an expert on a specific topic. So I have just listened to the episode that is titled Are... Chikada's the only one having a hot girl summer. And he has spoken to an entomologist who is an insect specialist uh, all about chikadas and dragonflies and cockroaches and what they get up to and how they've been <laughs> dealing with the summer. And it sounds completely obscure, 
But what I quite love is that they zone, they really zone in on one specific topic that you didn't think you were interested in whatsoever. But actually, when someone is that much of an expert in it, it does become quite interesting. And Jonathan's just great as a interviewer and a host. And I just love him. And he just brings his frivolity and jolliness. And he's he's genuinely so curious about finding out about all of this that it's just an absolute joy. So a few other titles of episodes are How Can We Stop Being Such Grumpy Nightmares with Happiness Professor Laurie Santos. Are we hearing a crescendo of anti-racism in classical music with Dr. Kira Thurman and Ashley Gordon? What's the difference between the gender pay gap and the wealth gap with Sally Krawcheck? And one that I just can't wait to listen to, which was actually one right at the beginning of the series. Who are you, Tan, with Tan France? Oh, I love it. It's jolly, but it is interesting. And I've finished now season five of Queer Eye. So I'm just looking for how to get my Fab Five fix. And this is it. I do like watching him figure skate on Instagram. Multi-talented. That's my lot. Marvellous. Right. We are going to have to ring off because I am actually sweating. There are beads of sweat forming on my upper lip. Being under this blanket just pretend it's a spa because it looks like you might be having like a bit of a sauna experience and with all the cashmere and grey cashmere it's very Scandinavian it's quite Bamford isn't it it's very Bamford actually Mm. you just need someone to could Ben just run through wafting a sage stick like smudging that would be nice that would be lovely well thank you all so very much for listening If you have liked what you've heard, please do subscribe, rate and review, and don't forget to tell your friends. You can also read us, should you so wish. Visit thewingwoman.co.uk to sign up for our free weekly newsletter and occasional special newsletters like shopping edits, travel guides, which are staycation guides at the moment. You know, the whole kit and caboodle. You can, of course, find us on social media. I am at Frankie Gradin, Charles is at Charlie Gowans, and we are collectively at the Wingwoman underscore. We'll see you next week. Until then, ta Now go get in the ocean, that'll push you down. <laughs>